0: 5. Retie on its color. When this constituent is reabsorbed by the blood and circulates through the tissues, the skin assumes a bright yellow hue, causing what is known as the jaundice. Cholesterol is an inflammable, crystallizable substance soluble in alcohol or ether. It is found in the spleen and all the nervous tissues. It is highly probable that it exists in the blood, in some state or combination, and assumes a crystalline form only when acted upon by other substances or elements. To other constituents, more important than either of the above, are collectively termed biliary salts. These elements were discovered in 1848, by Strecker, who termed them glycocholate and torocholate of soda, both are crystalline, resinous substances, and, although resembling each other in many respects, the chemist may distinguish them by their reaction, for both yield a precipitate if treated with subacetate of lead, but only the glycocholate will give a precipitate with acetate of lead. In testing for biliary substances, the most satisfactory method is the one proposed by Pettenkoffer. A solution of cane sugar, one part of sugar to four parts of water, is mixed with the suspected substance. Dilute sulfuric acid is then added until a white precipitate falls, which is re-dissolved in an excess of the acid. On the addition of more sulfuric acid, it becomes opal acid, and passes through the successive hues of scarlet, lake, and a rich purple. Careful experiments have proved that it is a constant secretion, but its flow is near abundant during digestion. During the passage through the intestines it disappears. It is not eliminated. And Pettenkoffer's test has failed to detect its existence in the portal vein. These facts lead physiologists to the conclusion that it undergoes some transformation in the intestines and is reabsorbed after digestion has been going on in the stomach for some time. The semi-digested food, in the form of chyme begins to pass through the pyloric orifice of the stomach into the duodenum, or upper portion of the small intestine. Here it encounters the intestinal juice, pancreatic juice, and the bile, the secretion of all of which is stimulated by the presence of food in the alimentary tract. These fluids, mingling with the chyme, give it an alkaline reaction, and convert it into chyle, the transformation of starch into sugar, which is almost, if not entirely, suspended while the food remains in the stomach. Owing to the acidity of the chyme, is resumed in the duodenum, the acid of the chyme being neutralized by the alkaline secretions there encountered. Late researches have demonstrated that the pancreatic juice exerts a powerful effect on albuminous matters, not unlike that of the gastric juice. Thus, it seems that while in the mouth only starchy, and while in the stomach only albuminous substances are digested, in the small intestine all kinds of food materials, starchy, albuminoid, Fatty and mineral are either completely dissolved or minutely subdivided, and so prepared that they may be readily absorbed through the animal membranes into the vessels. Milk. The milk is a white, opaque fluid secreted in the lacteal glands of the female. In the mammalia, these glands consist of numerous follicles grouped around an excretory duct, which unites with similar ducts coming from other lobules. By successive unions, they form large branches, termed the lactiferous ducts which open by 10 to 14 minute orifices on the extremity of the nipple. The most important constituent of milk is casein, it also contains oily and saccharine substances. This secretion, more than any other, as influenced by nervous conditions, a mother's bosom will fill with milk at the thought of her infant child. Milk is sometimes poisoned by a fit of ill temper, and the infant made sick and occasionally thrown into convulsions, which in some instances prove fatal. Sir Astley Cooper mentions two cases in which terror instantaneously and permanently arrested this secretion, it is also affected by the food and drink, malt liquors and other mild alcoholic beverages temporarily increase the amount of the secretion, and may, in rare instances, have a beneficial effect upon the mother, they sometimes affect the child, however, and their use is not to be recommended unless the mother is extremely debilitated, and there is a deficiency of milk, chapters I. Physiological anatomy, excretion, the products resulting from the waste of the tissues are constantly being poured into the blood, and, as we have seen, the blood being everywhere full of corpuscles, which, like all living things, die and decay, the products of their decomposition accumulate in every part of the circulatory system. Hence, if the blood is to be kept pure, the waste materials incessantly poured into this fluid, or generated in it, must be as continually removed, or excreted. The principal sets of organs concerned in affecting the separation of use substances from the blood are the lungs, the skin, and the kidneys. The elimination of carbonic acid through the lungs has already been described on page 66, and the excretory function of the skin on page 70. The kidneys are two bean-shaped organs, placed at the back of the abdominal cavity, in the region of the loins, one on each side of the spine. The convex side of each kidney is directed outwards and the concave side is turned inwards towards the spine, from the middle of the concave side, which is termed the hilus, a long tube of small caliber, called the ureter, proceeds to the bladder, the latter organ is an oval bag, situated in the pelvic cavity, it is composed principally of elastic muscular fibers, and is lined internally with mucous membrane, and coated externally with a layer of the peritoneum, the serous membrane which lines the abdominal and pelvic cavities, The ureters enter the bladder through its posterior and lower wall, at some little distance from each other. The openings through which the ureters enter the bladder are oblique. Hence it is much easier for the secretion of the kidneys to pass from the ureters into the bladder than for it to get the other way. Leading from the bladder to the exterior of the body is a tube, called the urethra, through which the urine is voided. The excretion of the kidneys, termed the urine, is an amber-colored or straw-colored fluid naturally having a slightly acid reaction, and a specific gravity ranging from 1.015 to 1.025. Its principal constituents are urea and uric acid, together with various other animal matters of less importance, and saline substances, held in solution in a proportionately large amount of water, the composition of the urine and the quantity excreted vary considerably, being influenced by the moisture and temperature of the atmosphere, by the character of the food consumed, and by the empty or replete condition of the alimentary tract. On an average a healthy man secretes about 50 ounces of urine in the 24 hours. This quantity usually holds in solution about 1 ounce of urea, and 10 or 12 grains of uric acid. In the amount of other animal matters, and saline substances, there is great variation. The quantity of these ranging from a quarter of an ounce to an ounce. The principal saline substances are common salt, the sulfates and phosphates of potassium sodium, calcium, and magnesium. In addition to the animal and the saline matters, the urine also contains a small quantity of carbonic acid, oxygen and nitrogen. Chapter XII, physiological anatomy, the nervous system. Hitherto, we have only considered the anatomy and functions of the organs employed in digestion, absorption, circulation, respiration, secretion and excretion. We have found the vital process of nutrition to be In all its essential features, a result of physical and chemical forces, in each instance we have presupposed the existence and activity of the nerves, there is not an inch of bodily tissue into which their delicate filaments do not penetrate, and form a multitude of conductors, over which are sent the impulses of motion and sensation, Two elements, nerve fibers and ganglionic corpuscles, enter into the composition of nervous tissue, ordinary nerve fibers in the living subject, or when fresh, are cylindrical-shaped filaments of a clear, but somewhat oily appearance. But soon after death the matter contained in the fiber coagulates, and then the fiber is seen to consist of an extremely delicate, structureless, outer membrane, which forms a tube through the center of which runs the axis cylinder. Interposed between the axis cylinder and this tube, there is a fluid, containing a considerable quantity of fatty matter, from which is deposited a highly refracting substance which lines the tube. There are two sets of nerve fibers, those which transmit sensory impulses, called afferent or sensory nerves, and those which transmit motor impulses, called afferent or motor nerves. The fibers when collected in bundles are termed nerve trunks. All the larger nerve fibers lie side by side in the nerve trunks, and are bound together by delicate connective tissue, enclosed in a sheath of the same material, termed the neurilemma. The nerve fibers in the trunks of the nerves remain perfectly distinct and disconnected from one another and seldom, or never, divide throughout their entire length, however, where the nerves enter the nerve centers, and near their outer terminations, the nerve fibers often divide into branches, or at least gradually diminish in size, until, finally, the axis cylinder, and the sheath with its fluid contents, are no longer distinguishable, the investing membrane is continuous from the origin to the termination of the nerve trunk, illustration, figure 55, division of a nerve, Showing a portion of a nervous trunk and separation of its filaments BCDE in the brain and spinal cord The nerve fibers often terminate in minute masses of a gray or ash-colored granular substance, termed ganglia, or ganglionic corpuscles. The ganglia are cellular corpuscles of irregular form, and possess fibrous appendages, which serve to connect them with one another. These ganglia form the cortical covering of the brain, and are also found in the interior of the spinal cord, according to Koelikert. The larger of these nerve cells measure only 1-200 of an inch in diameter. The brain is chiefly composed of nervous ganglia. Nerves are classified with reference to their origin, as cerebral those originating in the brain, and spinal those originating in the spinal cord. There are two sets of nerves and nerve centers, which are intimately connected, but which can be more conveniently studied apart. These are the cerebrospinal system, consisting of the cerebrospinal axis. And the cerebral and spinal nerves, and the sympathetic system, consisting of the chain of sympathetic ganglia, the nerves which they give off, and the nervous trunks which connect them with one another and with the cerebrospinal nerves, the CRBRO spinal system. The CRBRO spinal axis consists of the brain and spinal cord. It lies in the cavities of the cranium and the spinal column. These cavities are lined with a very tough fibrous membrane, termed the dura mater. Which serves as the periosteum of the bones which enter into the formation of these parts. The surface of the brain and spinal cord is closely invested with an extremely vascular, areolar tissue, called the pia mater. The numerous blood vessels which supply these organs traverse the pia mater for some distance. And, where they pass into the substance of the brain or spinal cord, the fibrous tissue of this membrane accompanies them to a greater or less depth. The inner surface of the dura mater and the outer surface of the pia mater are covered with an extremely thin, serous membrane, which is termed the arachnoid membrane. Thus, one layer of the arachnoid envelopes the brain and spinal cord, and the other lines the dura mater. As the layers become continuous with each other at different points, the arachnoid, like the pericardium, forms a sac, and, like other serous membranes, it secretes a fluid, known as the arachnoid fluid. The space between the internal and the external layers of the arachnoid membrane of the brain is much smaller than that enclosed by the corresponding layers of the arachnoid membrane of the spinal column. The spinal cord is a column of soft, grayish-white substance, extending from the top of the spinal canal, where it is continuous with the brain, to about an inch below the small of the back, where it tapers off into a filament. From this nerve are distributed fibers and filaments to the muscles and integument of at least nine-tenths of the body. The spinal cord is divided in front through the middle nearly as far as its center, by a deep fissure, called the anterior fissure, and behind, in a similar manner, by the posterior fissure. Each of these fissures is lined with the mater, which also supports the blood vessels which supply the spinal cord with blood. Consequently, the substance of the two halves of the cord is only connected by a narrow isthmus, or bridge, perforated by a minute tube, which is termed the central canal of the spinal cord. Each half of the spinal cord is divided lengthwise into three nearly equal parts, which are termed the anterior, lateral, and posterior columns, by the lines which join together two parallel series of bundles of nervous filaments, which compose the roots of the spinal nerves. The roots of those nerves, which are found along that line nearest the posterior surface of the cord, are termed the posterior roots, those which spring from the other line are known as the anterior roots. Several of these anterior and posterior roots, situated at about the same height on opposite sides of the spinal cord, converge and combine into what are called the anterior and posterior bundles, then to bundles. Anterior and posterior unite and form the trunk of a spinal nerve. The nerve trunks make their way out of the spinal canal through apertures between the vertebra, called the intervertebral foramina, and then divide into numerous branches, their ramifications extending principally to the muscles and the skin. There are 31 pairs of spinal nerves, 8 of which are termed cervical, 12 dorsal, 5 lumbar, and 6 sacral, with reference to that part of the cord from which they originate. When the cord is divided into transverse sections, it is found that each half is composed of two kinds of matter, a white substance on the outside, and a grayish substance in the interior. The gray matter, as it is termed, lies in the form of an irregular crescent, with one end considerably larger than the other. And having the concave side turned outwards, the ends of the crescent are termed the horns, or cornua, the one pointing forward being called the anterior cornu, the other one the posterior cornu. The convex sides of these cornua approach each other and are united by the bridge, which contains the central canal. There is a marked difference in the structure of the gray and the white matter. The white matter is composed entirely of nerve fibers, held together by a framework of connective tissue. The gray matter contains a great number of ganglionic corpuscles, or nerve cells, in addition to the nerve fibers. When the nerve trunks are irritated in any manner, whether by pinching, burning, or the application of electricity, all the muscles which are supplied with branches from this nerve trunk immediately contract, and pain is experienced, the severity of which depends upon the degree of the irritation, and the pain is attributed to that portion of the body to which the filaments of the nerve trunk are distributed. Thus. Persons who have lost limbs often complain in cold weather of an uneasiness or pain, which they locate in the fingers or toes of the limb which has been amputated, and which is caused by the cold producing an irritation of the nerve trunk, the filaments, or fibers of which, supplied the fingers or toes of the lost member. On the other hand, if the anterior bundle of nerve fibers given off from the spinal cord is irritated in precisely the same way, only half of these effects is produced all the muscles which are supplied with fibers from that trunk contract, but no pain is experienced. Conversely, if the posterior bundle of nerve fibers is irritated, none of the muscles to which the filaments of the nerve are distributed contract, but pain is felt throughout the entire region to which these filaments are extended, it is evident from these facts that the fibers composing the posterior bundles of nerve roots only transmit sensory impulses and the filaments composing the anterior nerve roots only transmit motor impulses, accordingly. They are termed respectively the sensory and the motor nerve roots. This is illustrated by the fact that when the posterior root of a spinal nerve is divided, all sensation in the parts to which the filaments of that nerve are distributed is lost, but the power of voluntary movement of the muscles remains. On the other hand, if the anterior roots are severed, the power of voluntary motion of the muscles is lost, but sensation remains. It appears from these experiments, that, when a nerve is irritated, a change in the arrangement of its molecules takes place, which is transmitted along the nerve fibers, but, if the nerve trunks are divided, or compressed tightly at any point between the portion irritated, and the muscle or nerve center, the effect ceases immediately, in a manner similar to that in which a message is stopped by the cutting of a telegraph wire. When the nerves distributed to a limb are subjected to a pressure sufficient to destroy the molecular continuity of their filaments, it goes to sleep. As we term it, the power of transmitting sensory and motor impulses is lost, and only returns gradually, as the molecular continuity is restored. From what has been said, it is plain that a sensory nerve is one which conveys a sensory impulse from the peripheral or outer part of a nerve to the spinal cord or brain, and which island therefore, termed afferent, and that a motor nerve is one which transmits an impulse from the nerve center, or is afferent, so difference in structure, or in chemical or physical composition, can be discerned between the afferent and the afferent nerves, a certain period of time is required for the transmission of all impulses, the speed with which an impulse travels has been found to be comparatively slow, being even less than that of sound, which is 1.120 feet per second, the experiments heretofore related have been confined solely to the nerves, We may now proceed to the consideration of what takes place when the spinal cord is operated upon in a similar way. If the cord be divided with a knife or other instrument, all parts of the body supplied with nerves given off below the division will become paralyzed and insensible, while all parts of the body supplied with nerves from the spinal cord above the division will retain their sensibility and power of motion. If, however, only the posterior half of the spinal cord is divided, or destroyed, there is loss of sensation alone, and, if the anterior portion is cut in two, and the continuity of the posterior part is left undisturbed, there is loss of voluntary motion of the lower limbs, but sensation remains, reflex action of the spinal cord, in relation to the brain, the spinal cord is a great mixed motor and sensory nerve, but, in addition to this, it is also a distinct nervous center in which originate and terminate all those involuntary impulses which exert so potent an influence in the preservation and economy of the body, that peculiar power of the cord by which it is enabled to convert sensory into motor impulses that which distinguishes it, as a central organ, from a nerve, and is called reflex action, the gray matter, and not the white, is the part of the cord which possesses this power, this reflex action is a special function of the spinal cord, and serves as a monitor to, and regulator of the organs of nutrition and circulation, by placing them, ordinarily, beyond the control of conscious volition. If the foot of a decapitated frog is irritated, there is an instant contraction of the corresponding limb. If the irritation is intense the other limb also contracts. These motions indicate the existence, in some part of the spinal cord, of a distinct nerve center, capable of converting and reflecting impulses. It has been found by experiment, that the same movements will take place if the irritation be applied to any portion of the body to which the spinal nerves are distributed, thus giving undoubted evidence that the spinal cord in its entirety is capable of causing these reflections. Figure 57 represents the course of the nervous impulses. The sensory impulse passes upward along the posterior root until it reaches the embedded gray matter of the cord by which it is reflected as a motor impulse downward along the anterior root to the muscles whence the sensation was received, this is the reflex action of the spinal cord, there is no consciousness or sensation connected with this action, and the removal of the brain and the sympathetic system does not diminish its activity, even after death it continues for some time, longer in cold blood than in warm blooded animals, on account of the difference in temperature, thus showing this property of the spinal cord, by disease, or the use of certain poisons, this activity may be greatly augmented, As is frequently observed in the human subject, a sudden contact with a different atmosphere may induce these movements. The contraction of the muscles, or cramp, often experienced by all persons, in stepping into a cold bath, or emerging from the cozy sitting room into a chilly December temperature, are familiar illustrations of reflex movements. It has been demonstrated that the irritability of the nerves may be impaired or destroyed while that of the muscles to which they are distributed remains unchanged, and that the motor and sensory classes of filaments may be paralyzed independently of each other. The reflex actions of the spinal cord have been admirably summed up by Dr. Dalton, as exerting a general, protective influence over the body, presiding over the involuntary action of the limbs and trunk, regulating the action of the sphincters, rectum, and bladder, and, at the same time, exercising an indirect influence upon the nutritive changes in all parts of the body to which the spinal filaments are distributed. The brain. The brain is a complex organ, which is divided into the medulla oblongata, the cerebellum, and the cerebrum. The medulla oblongata is situated just above the spinal cord, and is continuous with it below, and the brain above. It has distinct functions which are employed in the preservation and continuance of life. It has been termed the vital knot. Allowing to the fact that the brain may be removed and the cord injured and still the heart and lungs will continue to perform their functions until the medulla oblongata is destroyed. The arrangement of the white and gray matter of the medulla oblongata is similar to that of the spinal cord, that is to say, the white matter is external and the gray internal, whereas in the cerebellum and cerebrum this order is reversed. The fibers of the spinal cord, before entering this portion of the brain, decussate those from the right side crossing to the left and those from the left crossing to the right side. By some authors this crossing of the sensory and motor filaments has been supposed to take place near the medulla oblongata. Dr. Brown's accord shows, however, that it takes place at every part of the spinal cord. The medulla oblongata is traversed by a longitudinal fissure, continuous with that of the spinal cord. Each of the lateral columns thus formed are subdivided into sections, termed respectively the corpora pyramidalia, the corpora olivaria, the corpora rested formia and the posterior pyramids. The corpora pyramidalia C1, 1, Figure 58 are two small medullary eminences or cords situated at the posterior surface of the medulla oblongata, approaching the pons. Virulii. these become larger and rounded. The corpora olivaria 3, 3, Figure 58 are two elliptical prominences placed exterior to the corpora pyramidalia. By some physiologists, these bodies are considered as the nuclei or vital points, of the medulla oblongata, being closely connected with the nerves of special sensation. Doctor solely supposed that they presided over the movements of the larynx. The corpora rested formia five five figure 59 are lateral and posterior rounded projections of whitish medulla, which pass upward to the cerebellum and form the crura cerebelli, so called because they resemble a leg. The filaments of the pneumogastric nerve originate in the ganglia of these parts. The posterior pyramids are much smaller than the other columns of the medulla oblongata. They are situated for 4. Figure 59 Upon the margin of the posterior fissures in contact with each other, the functions of the medulla oblongata, which begin with the earliest manifestations of life, are of an instinctive character. If the cerebellum and cerebrum of a dove be removed, the bird will make no effort to procure food. But if a crumb of bread be placed in its bill, It is swallowed naturally and without any special effort, so also in respiration the lungs continue to act after the intercostal muscles are paralyzed, if the diaphragm loses its power, suffocation is the result, but there is still a convulsive movement of the lungs for some time, indicating the continued action of the medulla oblongata, the cerebellum, or little brain, is situated in the posterior chamber of the skull, beneath the tentorium, a tent-like process of the dura mater which separates it from the cerebrum. It is convex, with a transverse diameter of between 3 and one-half and 4 inches, and is little more than 2 inches in thickness. It is divided on its upper and lower surfaces into two lateral hemispheres, by the superior and inferior vermiform processes, and behind by deep notches. The cerebellum is composed of gray and white matter, the former being darker than that of the cerebrum. From the beautiful arrangement of tissue, This organ has been termed the arborvitae, the peduncles of the cerebellum, the means by which it communicates with the other portions of the brain, are divided into three pairs, designated as the superior, middle and inferior, the first pass upward and forward until they are blended with the tubercles of the corpora quadrigamina, the second are the crura cerebelli, which unite into large fasciculi, or pyramids, and are finally lost in the pons beroleae. The inferior peduncles are the corpora restiformia, previously described, and consist of both sensory and motor filaments. Some physiologists suppose that the cerebellum is the source of that harmony or associative power which company ordinates all voluntary movements, and affects that delicate adjustment of cause-to-effect, displayed in muscular action. This fact may be proved by removing the cerebellum of a bird and observing the results, which are an uncertainty in all its movements, and difficulty in standing walking, or flying, the bird being unable to direct its course, in the animal kingdom we find an apparent correspondence between the size of the cerebellum and the variety and extent of the movements of the animal, instances are cited, however, in which no such proportion exists, and so the matter is open to controversy, the general function of the cerebellum, therefore, cannot be explained. But the latest experiments in physiological and anatomical science seem to favor the theory that it is in some way connected with the harmony of the movements. This company ordination, by which the adjustment of voluntary motion is supposed to be effected, is not in reality a faculty having its seat in the brain substance, but is the harmonious action of many forces through the cerebellum. The cerebrum occupies five times the space of all the other portions of the brain together. It is of an ovoid form and becomes larger as it approaches the posterior region of the skull. A longitudinal fissure covered by the dura mater separates the cerebrum into two hemispheres, which are connected at the base of the fissure, by a broad medullary band, termed the corpus callosum. Each hemisphere is subdivided into three lobes, the anterior gives form to the forehead, the middle rests in the cavity at the base of the skull, and the posterior lobe is supported by the tentorium, by which it is separated from the cerebellum beneath. One of the most prominent characteristics of the cerebrum is its many and varied convolutions. These do not correspond in all brains, nor even on the opposite sides of the same brain. Yet there are certain features of similarity in all, accordingly. Anatomists enumerate four orders of convolutions. The first order begins at the substantia perforata and passes upward and around the corpus callosum toward the posterior margin of that body. Thence descends to the base of the brain, and terminates near its origin. The second order originates from the first, and subdivides into two convolutions, one of which composes the exterior margin and superior part of the corresponding hemisphere, while the other forms the circumference of the fissure of sylves. The third order, from six to eight in number, is found in the interior portion of the brain, and inosculates between the first and second orders. The fourth is found on the outer surface of the hemisphere, in the space between the suborders of the second class. A peculiar fact relating to these convolutions is observed by all anatomists, mental development is always accompanied by an increasing dissimilarity between their proportional size, the cerebral hemispheres may be injured or lacerated without any pain to the patient, the effect seems to be one of stupefaction without sensation or volition, a well-developed brain is a very good indication of intelligence and mental activity, that the cerebrum is the seat of the reasoning powers, and all the higher intellectual functions. Is proved by three facts. 1. If this portion of the brain is removed, it is followed by the loss of intelligence. 2. If the human cerebrum is injured, there is an impairment of the intellectual powers. 3. In the animal kingdom, as a rule, intelligence corresponds to the size of the cerebrum. This general law of development is modified by differences in the cerebral texture. Men possessing comparatively small brains may have a vast range of thought and acute reasoning powers. Anatomists have found these peculiarities to depend upon the quantity of gray matter which enters into the composition of the brain. In the cerebrospinal system there are three different kinds of reflex.